This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined by my good friend, Mike Spears. Mike, what's up? Hey, it's your old friend, Mike Spears. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. How's your uh, knife collection going, Mike? Uh, you know, it's turned into a bit that's consumed my life. <laughs> For those who don't follow me on Twitter, I kind of decided to make 2019 my rebrand was going to be getting real into knives. And right now there is a poll asking if I should get a Kukiri, which is a kind of machete. And I'm happy that some people on this podcast support me in this. And of course, one person never supports me anything. And they're on this podcast as well. So please go to at Fuji Heian, vote in the in the poll. I urge you to support Mike's dreams of owning a machete. Uh, I'm also joined by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. Nate is under the weather. Are you going to make it through this episode? I'm under the weather. I am here under protest uh, because <laughs> I was dragged by Aaron and Mike onto the show this week. Uh, Mike, I do support you in most things except buying a machete. I think it would be weird for you to buy a machete. What are you going to do? Are you going to hang it on a wall? That's going to be weird. I think it just would be handy to have a machete around. I don't know when I might There's, need no, it. No, you won't. You won't need it. It would not be handy. I think <laughs> use it to like cut bread at the very least. You're like you're verging on like one of these weird survivalist people who get way too into zombie apocalypses, and I don't recommend it. I think that's a bad route for you. I mean, I already pretty much live up in the mountains, so I'm partway there already. Shouldn't I just lean into it? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, folks, we have a guest. We are joined by Kara uh, from Twitter. Kara, what's up? Hi, I'm Kara from Twitter, and I just want to say that I support my comrade Mike in his efforts to arm himself against the coming bourgeois counter-revolutionary hordes. See, that's why we have Kara on the show. Exactly mm-hmm. why. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. we got a new road to double or nothing. We've got the Bucks and Cody's involvement in AAA's Ray de Reyes. We're going to talk about some perhaps troubling trends with being the elite couple of new signings. Uh, before we get into all that, I want to remind everyone to make sure you are subscribing to the show. You can find us at our own feed. Uh, just search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed. Uh, you can rate and review on iTunes if you get the podcast there. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. And if you just love Kara, so much on this episode that you want to follow her on Twitter. She's at Kara, K-A-R-A, Anza, O-N-Z-A. All right, let's get into it. We're going to start with Road to Double or Nothing, episode eight. Uh, it starts out with some footage from Ray Reyes, and uh, ultimately we see the, the Bucks post-match after they won the tag team titles from uh, the Lucha Brothers, and they're now the AAA tag team champions. Nate, I know you watched the show. What was the reaction to uh, the Bucks winning the tag titles? Uh, I believe the term I used on Twitter was uh, entertainingly dumbfounded. That would be the reaction of the AAA crowd there um, because they basically had this match after the Lucha Brothers beat another team for the tag team titles. They had an unannounced match, did not really make a logical explanation for why the match was occurring. Uh, and it was pretty obvious that the majority of the crowd did not know who the Young Bucks were. Um, so it was a pretty bizarre watch because the crowd was very into Lucha Brothers' comebacks, and they were you know, not wanting to see them lose because they obviously are fans of Lucha Brothers. But then you know, the Bucks were doing all their typical high-flying, dynamic, kinetic offense and stuff, and the crowd was just not reacting to it. It was kind of weird. It was like... Uh, going back in time and watching them and like, you know, if, if you transported their current good at wrestling selves back into their TNA days or something where nobody was reacting to them, it was, it was unusual. But at the same time, it was very AAA. I mean, ever, ever since Conan came back after the fall of WCW, he's always read, he's always led invader armies. So him bringing in the young books after the match, even though it was kind of weird because the tag teams that were out there earlier were part of a unit he was already leading. But yeah, no, no one in AAA knows who the Young Bucks are. I mean, they only follow like CMLL and AAA, so it was kind of par for the course. But yeah, it was weird. It was it was amusingly weird, though. 
I also want to note that um, earlier in that same night, <laughs> Conan had actually made a run in to attack Cody. And then, of course, uh, he came out with the Bucks to be their supporter about like two hours later, which really, I think that really sums up what the AAA experience is like. It, like, it's just bewildering at all times. <laughs> right. So the next uh, part of Double or Nothing is that uh, it's, you know, Conan being out there with Cody, Cody being... Uh, attacked by multiple people. Not going to front act like I watched AAA, so I have no clue who attacked him. So, you know, one of you all should. Uh, the main one is Taurus. Taurus is the one they were obviously putting the uh, spotlight on there. Okay. And uh, as we learned, well, we, we already knew there was a partnership between AEW and AAA, but there was more in the Observer this week about uh, the uh, talent sharing agreement. And that, of course, the point of this was to have a title match on uh, the Double or Nothing show. In Las Vegas. So obviously the Lucha Brothers will win back the AAA tag team titles in Vegas and all will be right with the world, right? Who knows? It's AAA. Yeah. Uh, all wrestling logic would say that the Lucha Brothers are going to win it back, but yeah, it's, it's AAA. So we have no idea, which in its own way is very fascinating. All right. So we see Cody, and it seemed like the point of this was to keep playing up the, the knee injury. And to make it worse, you know, make it seem like it's he's doing worse and worse. Uh, to me, kind of laying the groundwork for him to uh, have a triumphant uh, showing at uh, Double or Nothing. Yeah. Um, the other other note about this segment was that they were really specifically building toward a Cody and Taurus thing. Like Cody said, "Oh, I'd be happy to face you when I'm healed from my knee injury. We could do it right here in Puebla, etc." So that I mean, that's Taurus is like a fun wild card. To, throw in here that's like a weird match we never thought we'd see is cody Rhodes versus taurus so that that just that alone makes it interesting to me and our good friend qt marshall uh works the angle by calling torres and the other attackers pieces of shit which may be the first uh use of profanity on road to double or nothing okay next segment we get is uh brandy uh qt marshall and sandra the seamstress all in uh, the office that appears to be Cody's office, usually. And we find out that Sandra is there to make some gear for AEW's newest signing, Allie from Impact, a.k.a. Cherry Bomb. So a couple of interesting things here. First is Sandra. Mike, yeah. I know you're a big Sandra fan like me. Um, how big a get is Sandra for AEW? Well, Sandra was a WWE seamstress for a long time. I mean, up until she left, I, I remember hearing like 15, 20 years. Like she's been a part of the, not necessarily like a part of WWE staff, but she was one of the like auxiliary people who were affiliated with the company for a long time. Of course, me and AB mostly know her because she was incredible on the first few seasons of uh, total divas and that was my exposure to her and she's like one of the like 10 people around wrestling my mom's ever heard of because she watches total divas and she asks she's asked me like oh what, what's ever happened to like the nice seamstress and i'm like i think she's gone now so i can now report to her that like okay these people are here and then she's now with another company and she'll absolutely have no clue what i'm talking about cara have you ever watched total divas i have I have not ever watched Total Divas. I'm sorry for kind of breaking the gender stereotype here. So, I mean, <laughs> why would you even have a woman correspondent on if they don't watch Total Divas? That's a fair point. Uh, uh, we're going to need you to watch all the seasons and report back for your next appearance. Um, I believe it is Ms. and Mrs. is the other one. I know that all these exist. I've, <laughs> I've watched one episode of Total Divas, actually, now that I remember. I watched the first one with Paige on it back when I cared about Paige a lot. That's fair. That's fair. All right, we go from that to Brandy. A lot of Brandy in this Road to Double or Nothing. Uh, she's on the phone with Dave Milliken, who is a belt maker. And there is uh, some talk about him making the, quote, title. And the, the only, I don't know if it's news, but the only thing that really comes out of this is that the belt is going to be, quote, as large as the Mid-South North American. And if you don't know what that belt looks like, I encourage you to Google it. Uh, because there's a great photo of uh, Magnum TA holding it, and it's like Magnum TA was a big dude, and it looks way too big for Magnum TA. So it uh, looks like they're going to have a huge title, which is funny because you know people already think that uh, most of the AEW wrestlers are small, and so they're going to look 
that could look particularly funny with this huge uh, belt. The Nate, you got something on that? No, <clears throat> no. Well, I guess so because you okay. called me out now. Well, you unmuted, so I just yeah. I was, you, I was just going to comment that it's funny that it was Dave Milliken because you know we had Sandra the seamstress. I'm dying here, um, <laughs> and then we had a belt maker. It's funny that we're putting this shine on like people who are like in the orbit of wrestling, but not you know known wrestling. You know, not on camera talents, but Dave Milliken. We know his name because like he makes all the famous belts, and I think he might be the guy who like they had copyright credits for and like the wwe video games when they would have his belts in the game they would have to put them in the credits and i it always jumped out to me that was all yeah and i think that point is actually pretty interesting in terms of uh and we saw it last week too with the big focus on writing the theme song for Britt breaker is that yeah they really are focusing on this kind of all the behind the scenes personnel and i think that serves like two purposes you know one is you know, it, it's it's just a nice thing on on its own. It's like it's nice to kind of highlight all these people, all these workers who make wrestling really work, and you know that kind of puts you know is both nice on its own merits and also kind of puts over you know what the kind of ethos of AEW is going to be. And, but also, um, it also is signaling to everyone that's like, yeah, we're really thinking this through. We're really making the whole wrestling promotion. Like, look at us. We're all this effort that we're putting into, you know, gear making, music, et cetera, et cetera, all, all the things that you have to do. And, the, you know, this isn't just a t-shirt company. And I think, Nate, we should also, we kind of skipped over this. We also need you to comment on the addition of Allie. I know you're a big Allie fan. Oh, yeah. And I'm just, I like Allie. Uh, I've seen her in Shimmer a couple of times. And, like, I'm just, one of those people in wrestling, like a like an ACH or like... Um, Maybe a Zack Saber, who is just like very funny and engaging and entertaining when you're watching them live. Like I saw Allie, I think, and Kimberly in some like four way tag in Shimmer a few years ago, and I was just you know in stitches at everything she was saying. She was just doing a lot of patter and stuff that was very funny and immediately made me a fan. So and yeah, so good get. Um, again, this is another case where it's like they're really grabbing the people out of the indies that I would grab if I were starting a company in total extreme warfare. So I can't really complain. And the episode ends with a video promo from Pentagon and Phoenix uh, in Spanish. That's subtitled in English basically just says we're the best tag team on the planet and we're coming for the young bucks. Nothing exciting really uh, in this uh, little promo. I thought it was really cool because they did it with like the subtitles running, but they also had, different aesthetic going with it. And it kind of shows that when it, when they've had these sort of things that they've done different stylistic flares, like last week with Chris Jericho, and then now we have Pena and Phoenix. And it's just a nice thing to kind of see that they're doing different ways to differentiate all the different talent they're having. So I thought that was a pretty cool segment. I mean, it was pretty standard promo, especially from promos that the two of them cut, but it was a nice little bookend, I feel like for the episode. Yeah, and one thing I'm really noticing with this episode and the last episode is that Road to Double or Nothing is getting very uh, pro-wrestling, uh, for, for better or worse. It's really more like, I think the idea that I had in my head with Road for Double or Nothing is that very first Chris Jericho promo, where it really felt like, you know, he's talking about, oh, the Young Bucks are great, but I'm the one drawing the fans, where, where it's kind of that melding of, melding of reality and kayfabe and now we have we have more things like cody cody's knee injury takes him out of running booking or like just a penta and phoenix pr pretty good pro wrestling promo and it just it's like okay they're pivoting and going to be a little more traditional pro wrestling than maybe we would have expected which is which is notable yeah it's gone away from like the ufc unleashed style that the show started and i think it's kind of interesting that it's kind of melded to this like originally it was more behind the scenes stuff and now it's kind of a mixture of both that i don't know like, I, I might have liked the rich the first few episodes because it felt a little bit more different but now this is kind of merging a little bit without like the magical realism that you get out of being the elite well it's like they're you know sort of uh mimicking the the ufc promos are like those hbo 24 7 series and like that's the idea. Like it's a you know fake fight promotion. We're gonna mirror what real fight promotion looks like and just you know put a kayfabe twist on it. So I think it's perfect. 
Okay, that will that kind of leads us to because we pretty much covered Ray to Reyes with talking about Road to Double or Nothing there. So I want to skip over that. And you don't want to talk about a uh, uh, psycho clown or double J's appearance there. And Hey, I mean, after super porky, I, I, I mean, want to talk about psycho clown. Wow, we've added another psycho clown super fan to the podcast. We should just have a psycho clown segment every week. I mean, I'd be all about that. I mean, I'm disappointed you didn't watch Raider Ray as or at least the opening because you would get to see psycho clown being the one coming out for the save, not the box. It was psycho clown. I just can never get into Lucha. I've tried on a couple of occasions. It just does not grab me. Uh, yeah. Can we even call AAA Lucha? <laughs> well, I, I have no idea. It's like it's like the sports entertainment version of Lucha. It's like the TNA of Lucha. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think it's important to like recognize that there are a couple of wrestlers like really around the world who really have that sort of like ace energy and you know you have your hiroshi tanahashi you have your kenta miyahara over in all japan and i really think that psycho clan radiates the same sort of energy but like he is triple a and everyone in every triple a fan is just losing their mind over psycho clan and i and i can see it every time um so i (laughs) total cosign from me yeah exact same as kenta miyahara is basically what i'm saying exact same guy it might actually he could be kenta miyahara it might just be kento under Mm. the mask I mean, he got unmasked briefly during the cage mask, but luckily, I guess a fan or Super Porky had a mask they slid to him. So Kento could have been in Puebla for this. And yeah, I could, <laughs> I, I absolutely co-sign everything that Cara just said. Like, he's just such a good person. And if they're bringing in people like Taurus is a good get because he is something different and he's a factor in AAA that they've been pushing for a while. I thought he was going to win Rey de Reyes but he didn't, which was kind of a surprise. I thought that they would give the guy in a giant bull mask a giant fuck-off sword because it just kind of completes him. But yeah, like you have him already being kind of paired off with Cody, which I think that's going to be an interesting match, especially with the kind of style that that Tarus has. And then they have like all this other talent that's going to show up. And I mean, that was one of the things I was mentioned that we're going to see a lot more of a talent sharing agreement. Like obviously the leader going to go down there now is the bucks have the tag titles and they're probably who knows what's going to happen at double or nothing. But at the same time, you get a chance of having some really dynamic undercard workers get an opportunity up in the States, a lot along the same lines as the WWE guys. And I think that's really great. And they have people like Fabi Apache and Kira, who I think would be great people to have in the women's division as well. So there's a lot of exciting things I feel like with AAA coming aboard and doing a bigger talent share than we originally expected. I, I'm just realizing his name is Torres, isn't it? Yeah, Bull. His Bull Man. Yeah, I called him. I think I called him Torres earlier. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I was going to say something. That was bad. And, and, uh, but yeah, on Mike's point, so Cody actually, also made part of his promo. We kind of did this out of order that he wanted to bring like Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho to Mexico to wrestle for AAA. I just that's just cool to see that cross pollination. I think it'd be fucking wacky and cool to see, you know, Monster Clown versus Kenny Omega or whatever. That's just fun. So we could still get uh, Chris Jericho versus LA Park. Uh, I think AAA is done with uh, original LA Park now. I think that was in today's Observer. Damn, I'm I'm just I'm getting owned on my own podcast. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> Gotta just want to keep up, man. I just want to note that you all have actually gotten the name wrong. It is Taurus. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like a Rush versus Roof kind of thing, you know. <laughs> that ruled. Well, that's yeah, my. That's my one mispronouncing thing. Since there's no W O W E news, I'm not going to butcher any Chinese names. So <laughs> I'm par for the course here. Okay. Well, now if it's okay with everyone, I'm going to move on to uh, talking about uh, some some troubling BTE trends. I guess here's the question that I'm going to pose at the start, and I'll kind of give the case for um, one side of the question, which is: Is there a dwindling interest in AEW generally? And that would include uh, being the elite and and road to double or nothing. Uh, some of the evidence to support that is right after the initial AEW presser, the BTEs were getting views in the high 200,000s. Some were like 280. Uh, now they're in the mid to high 100s. Uh, so, you know, 150, 170 in that range. The road to double or nothings, uh, the first episode got 260,000 views. 
the most the last episode number uh, number seven, uh, you know, not counting the one that just dropped today, only got ninety six thousand views. There was a bump for episode four right after Double or Nothing tickets sold out. Uh, they got up to one hundred seventy eight thousand. So obviously, they've announced a lot of the card for Double or Nothing. There's not a whole lot to uh, talk about, but it seems like interest is dwindling, and that concerns me from a perspective of. Are they going to be able to maintain interest uh, for a weekly television show on a real television network to create a promotion that like actually has any purchase? Uh, does this concern you? Uh, okay, first, is the trend troubling? Two, does it concern you for the viability of the promotion? Um, I a little bit maybe. Yeah, I mean those numbers in total aren't, you know, would not be attractive numbers to a major cable network or something like that i would think they would want those numbers to be bigger um but i guess i i I don't know enough about youtube i don't know enough about television viewership to you know judge if there's any real expected correlation there or anything like that um i guess i would also i think maybe the defense is probably people are sort of in a holding pattern or in a holding position with AEW, like people have probably already made up. I mean, we know the show sold out. So people that are going have already made up their mind. They're going. People that are going to watch it probably have already made up their mind. Like they probably already know if they're going to watch the big new show from the big new company. So there's probably not a ton of people there that are following it week to week, trying to decide if they're going to, you know, buy the actual product once it comes out in May here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you would want those numbers to be bigger, but. Uh, you know, the, uh, the whether this becomes a major player on a national level and, you know, maybe competitive with the other big company is like, can they find new fans that wouldn't be in the habit of watching these, you know, sort of niche wrestling YouTube shows? Can they find fans that are watching, you know, whatever's on ESPN that afternoon, whatever's on TNT that afternoon and sticks around to check out the new show? Like that, that's probably where they have to be making their inroads anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with basically all of that. I guess the if you look at it from uh, the other perspective, I mean, they did sell out Double or Nothing like immediately, and apparently had forty some thousand people in the queue for tickets. So they're succeeding at what they're trying to do. I mean, right now they are a a big show promotion, and they're succeeding at that. So I guess just the question is whether they can translate over into a television promotion and you're right Nate that they're going to have to find television viewers that they can convert into BTE viewers uh, and convert over into road to double or nothing viewers and then continue to watch television show and come to the events etc cetera, etc cetera. Mike what do you think I guess my big uh, argument against the conversion is do we know if they're even going to really continue being the elite after they get television of some form or fashion because as of right now, I mean, I assume Road to Double or Nothing, that's going to go away and there might be a new Road to Fight for the Fallen or whatever. But like looking at these numbers and thinking about, oh, this is troubling for being the elite, I'm wondering if really if they're just going to completely abandon that when they have to produce weekly television of some form or fashion. And I guess one of the things that, I feel like it's kind of worth bringing up is the other streaming shows, wrestling shows that happened uh, that we were able to have numbers for. Like the first season of Mixed Mass Challenge had pretty stiff drops. And percentage wise, like it was worse than this. So the retention rate in comparison to other wrestling programs isn't as bad, but it's also worth saying that this, that was on Facebook on a nascent platform that completely is irrelevant nowadays, at least Facebook watch. But I don't know how important it's going to be. Like, I think the bigger issue is going to be when tickets for fight for the fallen come on the market, like when they announce tickets all day, because to me, that would be a bigger sign for me, at least if they're going to have dwindling issues, issues or dwindling interest in the promotion at large or if it will like what you said aaron it is a big event promotion and it can't convert into a weekly program 
Yeah. Um, my main thought is that all YouTube numbers are fake. Streaming numbers online are completely made up and not real. And so it's kind of, I mean, I'm, a, I'm at least 80% serious when I say that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that there is a little bit of a... AEW isn't really dominating the conversation in the same way and really driving the kind of viewership in the same way it was as, as it does at, at its peaks. But I think that that's fine. I think that I think that it's natural for a, a wrestling company, um, you know, even when they have weekly TV to kind of have sort of a baseline that they drop down to and then have kind of buzzy episodes. It's, and then, you know, obviously peak at the big events, the pay-per-views and so on. It's I, I would even look at it from the fact that maybe this is their baseline and that like in a secular world is the fine number and and the the number we were get that was like twice, three times as big, those were actually for a quote unquote big events, you know, the like really special ones, special, you know, your first episode, you're right after, you know, your raw after WrestleMania kind of, of event equivalent of, you know, the the BTE after all in two or whatever. Yeah, that's true because like the the AEW presser got like almost six hundred thousand views. So yeah, that's definitely a possibility. That uh, I like that idea that there's a baseline and they can pop bigger numbers. I just think like didn't impact on Spike or TNA on Spike do like a million viewers a week? Million five. Yeah. So like, where did the million? And that was a a failure, right? Well. It wasn't, it wasn't. It was a failure in comparison to basically what everything that happened before. But looking back at it, I don't believe that Ring of Honor on Sinclair with much wider broadcast clearance is getting close to a million five viewers a week. I mean, you, you take a look at other promotions that have come up and then ever since then, and no one's had that. And you take a look at how badly Impact's numbers have fallen. Sorry, Garrett Kidney, but the, the promotion's in a real bad place and you look at their money that they've gotten as well they went from getting about 12 to 14 million down to basically having a content trade with their parent organization or parent companies other network that doesn't care so i don't know yeah all the all the math really has changed um i happened to be texting with a friend of mine about the uh, storied nbc franchise las vegas today um because he was wanted to talk to me about the television show las vegas which of course is like had no lasting impact on the culture whatsoever is not remembered fondly by anyone it's basically a blip of nothingness on the landscape of the united states um and that was like a you know non-hit show and not significant in any way and it get, got four million more viewers per episode than like the biggest drama show on television gets now just because people used to watch tv back then so it's all just like a totally different landscape. I think that there's also kind of the shared point is that a million five for a television show on that kind of cable network is a, still a pretty good number. It would, it, the only way it could really be considered a failure on that end is because, you know, wrestling and ad rates, we've heard this same conversation from Dave Meltzer a million times about Raw. But yeah, as as a television show, even even at the time, let alone now, a million five is, is a gigantic, massive success. Yeah, that that will obviously be the the interesting thing is, well, a what is a net the network that works with AEW? What are they looking for? Uh, and have the ad rate issues changed? I mean, Tony Khan on the Jericho podcast talked about how he thinks it's an attractive time for uh, advertisers and, and wrestling product. I don't know whether that's true. I guess we'll find out. Okay, we'll go from there into there was a little bit of news about some trademarks this week. I think this seemed more interesting at first. Basically, Cody Rhodes has been applying for lots of trademarks, and most of them are old WCW pay per view names. Uh, there was Bash at the Beach and Battle Bowl and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then Cody responded uh, personally to some of these news stories and said, you know, you basically guys don't look into this too much or, you know, don't think about this too much. Uh, most of them are not for AEW. Most of them are just me trying to make sure I own some of the ideas that my dad came up with. So I don't know. You guys buy that or is there something else we should be uh, looking into about uh, the, the trademarks issue? So I I did know this at one point, but I've since forgotten, like I've forgotten all of my education. But didn't if you're going to register something as a trademark, does that mean you have to use it for something? Like you can't register it for a trademark 
to sit on it just because it's Dusty's, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, uh, I mean, I know trademarks and patents aren't the same thing. I know enough to know that, but that's like patent trolling, right? Yeah, I think, no, because patent trolling you can do. Like that, that's like lucrative for people. Trademarks okay. is like yeah. you have to be using I, it in the course of, <laughs> you have to like be using it in the course of your business. So like, I guess maybe he's, he could just sell merchandise. That's like bash at the beach or bunkhouse stampede brawl, whatever it was. But like, you can't just you like, that's the reason the WWE's trademarks trademarks lapsed on these things because they weren't using them. So he can't just register them for the purposes of sitting on them because they're dusties. They have to be utilized and exploited in some way in order to keep them valid. Yeah. Um, Cody, Cody is definitely someone who has and will continue to completely work Twitter and things like that. So that is, I, th I think he's just trying to manage expectations of not trying to, you know, expect a bash at the beach this summer or something like that. But it definitely, I, the likelihood that they, they might try and use it, they might abandon it and not use it. And so that's why he's like trying to get everyone's expectations down and then maybe they will and everyone will forget about it. I think they said, a lot of similar things about the trademarks that came, you know, people always tell you to ignore trademarks, but trademarks is how we found out about AEW in the first place. So, I mean, could be something, could be not. I don't know. Yeah, I think the most likely uh, outcome is we see some of them, like, why would you not have an event called Bash of the Beach if you've got the Bash of the Beach trademark? It's a great name. Everybody remembers it fondly. Um, whereas the Bunkhouse Stampede, whatever it is, probably not as relevant or finally remembered yeah and to all the people who are like oh god i hope they don't make this thing like wcw you all suck wcw ruled and anything they do to try to recreate wcw is good they've already done so much that's in wcw's <laughs> like wheelhouse or things they did they have a relationship with an ultimo dragon trainee ultimo dragon brought the torimon kids originally to wcw before they did their their debut in Torimon Japan. Shima Nobunaga. Yeah, Shima Nobunaga. You had Sumo Fuji. You had Little Dragon instead of Dragon Kid. And then you also have like people that we're going to talk about later that are involved with it. I mean, there's just so many things here that harken back to that. And as someone who lives in the area that was prime WCW pretty much up until they tried to kill the territory each time, they wanted to beat up Ric Flair whenever he came through the Carolinas. There still is a really big fondness for even stuff like Bunkhouse Stampede. I mean, like Bunkhouse Stampede, like I think like one of them sold out the Greens the Greensboro Coliseum. And Greensboro Coliseum at the time was one of the biggest arenas in the Southeast. So if you're going to be a, a Southeast-based promotion, which they are, like let's be straight here. I mean, Jacksonville, I... When I was a lot younger, I was looking at schools and I went to Florida State and they pulled me aside and they said, don't think about this as North Florida. Think about this as South Georgia. So that whole area is, is basically kind of Georgia-ish. Now, I'm certain I'll get hate for people that <laughs> want me, who, who are saying no, Jacksonville is his own thing. Address all complaints to Aaron P. Taub. But the thing is, is that these are things that still have equity and brand equity for the area. And if they're already like making this like Jacksonville into, a, into like a prominent thing, and it's obvious that at least their offices in the neat and then for the near future are based out of Atlanta, why not embrace a bash at the beach? I hope they bring back the triple cage because the triple cage is ridiculous. And I like ridiculous wrestling. So one other point on the uh, trademarks, from Meltzer today in the Observer uh, on the Four Horsemen one, which Conrad Thompson and Art Anderson trademarked together. Um, Dave said, this would sound like there's an idea for Anderson to come in and manage a Four Horsemen unit. A Four Horsemen versus Elite program sounds like a natural, and it's just a question as to who they would put in the Horsemen unit. So that was Dave's thinking on that at least. And then Dave does go on to note that Cody said these aren't AEW related. These other ones, the Bash of the Beach, Battle Bowl, etc. Um, but yeah, they, he seems to think there's some fire to that smoke. Uh, and there was also, you know, the Pro Wrestling Eve promotion has been doing a Battle Bowl event, and Cody basically gave him the all clear on Twitter to continue using that, even if he has the trademark. 
um, probably just because he, you know, baby faces him on Twitter. Yeah, since we're speaking of WCW, we'll go ahead and mention that there was a video that Tony Schiavone put out on Twitter that basically involved him uh, cutting his little promo, and then Cody shows up, and uh, they go off together. So heavily implied that Tony Schiavone will have some role with the company, which you would assume would be uh, some commentary. Yeah, Tony Schiavone was always good. Um, that's my opinion. And yeah, I mean, just another, you know, Atlanta connection here to Cody and WCW. Hard agree. Tony Schiavone, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was a great commentator. Okay, well, now three-fourths of the podcast are six. So that's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it also is interesting in that it is someone, that, again, that they're poaching from MLW. And so just more proof that MLW contracts mean absolutely nothing. And Tony Schiavone also does, uh, just to bring everything around, we, we recorded this podcast late uh, so we could finish the Kentucky basketball game. And so Tony you Schiavone, could. So you could. Let's make it. I said so I could. Oh, I don't. Okay. I don't think that anyone else was watching that basketball game. I hope not. Uh, Tony Schiavone, your radio voice of Georgia Bulldog basketball. So. Dope. <laughs> hey, at least with me being a college football fan, they play, they pay the players and they get away with it. So. Hey, uh, Kentucky obviously pays players. I don't think there's any question about that. And I don't want to hear any more uh, of your, uh, mean things you have to say about it. You, you beat Abilene Christian. That is a school for kids who are too dumb to not get into Texas Tech. They send the kids even farther to Abilene. There's nothing at Abilene. It's all dirt and cows. It's a great school. It's a strong basketball program. Abilene. Uh, a lot of great players. Uh, just, you know, wasn't their best night tonight. That's all. Okay. Okay, moving on. Uh, big signing for AEW. Sadie Gibbs has joined the promotion. Sadie got uh, popular, I think, mostly by feuding with Will Ospreay on Twitter. Uh, if you don't know, she was in stardom earlier this year for a tour, uh, along with some other uh, British talent, and had to leave after not very long uh, because her grandfather died, I believe. And basically, Will Ospreay called her out on Twitter saying that he knew before she went that she didn't have uh, what it took to succeed in Japan. So that was weird. Uh, but then she did this uh, very um, athletic dive in a match in stardom, and the GIF went around. And yeah. our own Nate uh, hinted earlier than anyone that uh, that content, and especially the sharing of it by a lot of the members of the, the elite, meant that Sadie was heading to AEW. And here she is. So good job, Nate. Thank you. Yeah, it's super obvious. Um, I mean, I think one of the Jacksons even like, reply to her and it's like oh well we think you're great so no surprise here but yeah the fun you've got a built-in feud there with her and b Priestley because um <laughs> there's already like some bad blood there presumably so do it book the match kind of interesting right that uh they've already booked b and they got this thing with sadie but clearly there's like uh sadie will um whatever issues between them and so i think it's kind of interesting that they're going to work with both of them it's also it's also very fascinating in wrestling whenever uh, spousal partners like end up in two different like ac promotional axes. That's always just very funny to think about. Yeah, theoretically, the New Japan, you know, would be on bad terms with AEW here, and um, but you know, stardom sort of like the most neutral ground somehow. So, all you know, all these all these things seem to be like constantly uh, you know realigning and changing who can work where and so on. So it remains to be seen. We also got some Cody content on Twitter of him hanging out. Uh, well, Pharaoh really hanging out with lemons, who is Priscilla Kelly's dog. Very cute dog. And I'm always going to be supportive of dog content, but I guess the interesting thing here is why was Cody hanging out with Priscilla Kelly? Did he just need some tips on some spots for his double or nothing match? Oh, that'd be get some puke spots in there. That'd be fun. <laughs> Uh, I mean, clearly, well, was he talking to her because Priscilla Kelly might join AEW or uh, was he just hanging out with Darby? Well, both of them are up. I mean, the, the whole thing with Darby has been a complete mess from WWE wins. And for, I mean, at one point he was on the WWE live events. At one point he was taken off. Now he's back on. 
And I mean, Priscilla Kelly is a complete free agent. And it seems like with some of the signings and affiliations, they really are going for people that are able to not necessarily do things to create buzz, but be able to get them their themselves out in the zeitgeist. So someone like Priscilla Kelly, it makes perfect sense. And if you're able to get her husband, a Darby Allen at the same time, be able to pull someone from WWE. I mean, having someone like Darby, I'm never going to turn down Darby Allen. So I'd be okay with either or both, hopefully both. Yeah. And as we just mentioned, it uh, kind of speaks to the Sadie Gibbs segment in that one of their biggest hiring pipelines right now is having a gift that goes viral. So that's pretty cool. I don't know which one I just, I literally pronounce it either way. I, I have no idea which one I just said. I Thank think you. you said GIF, which is correct. Um, okay. And yeah, that's it's sort of the the Meltzer test is like the best way to tell if somebody can get over is if they've already gotten over. And that's kind of the case with Priscilla and Darby and like Sadie and all these other people. Well, not all the people, but a large number of the people are, you know, people that have carved out a niche and made a name for themselves, even when that's been historically hard to do, like on the indie scene. But like, you know, Joey, MJF have all, sort of made themselves notable by, you know, taking a different route from others. So I think it's, it's smart. And, uh, and if that pattern continues, then we'll see them, you know, continue to diversify with uh, people like that. Yeah. We also had the, uh, in an earlier episode of Road to Double Nothing, we had the Ace Romero signing that was, they, uh, yeah. in the show, they made it basically like it was predicated off that one kind of clip that went funny viral. So that, uh, and that, that's a legitimate strategy. That's like, they, I think, I think, they are probably the best wrestling promotion, the best position wrestling promotion right now to understand the value of gifts and the value of that sort of like really like shareable kind of content in, in a way that other promotions would kind of be lagging behind on or only kind of generating secondhand. For sure. Yeah. And when we talked about Ace Romero, we talked about them bringing Marco Stunt to uh, all in. So yeah, I think it's, I think you all are exactly right that that's something that they like to use. And it makes sense, especially when it's, Things like Ace Romero, where it doesn't seem like they've signed him to a five-year deal. It's just, you know, he's coming to work uh, the Battle Royal. So see what happens from there. Uh, we talked a little bit about Guns and Gallows last week, and there was an update in The Observer this week that, well, I guess the initial report was by PW Insider that uh, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, I'm really struggling late tonight of uh, finding words sometimes, have been pulled from all dates. So, uh we talked about this last week. They didn't sign new contracts. And Dave kind of uh, contrasted this with the Revival, who wanted to leave and were instead given the tag titles and longer matches on house shows. But it looks like with Guns and Gallows, they're going more with the idea that, hey, let's take them off television, let people forget about them. And then, you know, they won't be as hot when they show up uh, somewhere else. So I think that's interesting, but maybe, well, no, I, you could say it plays more into the fact that they seem more likely to show up in AEW, but clearly that's where the revival would go if they if they left. I got Anybody nothing on Guns and Gallows. Nope, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I like to see him somewhere else, but sure. Okay, yeah, I, th- I think they're more likely for New Japan just to throw my my opinion in the ring, but we'll see. That's fair. Massively indifferent, and I'm with Kara. They're going anywhere. Go to New Japan just because I don't want to see Doc Gallows wrestle in 2019. I've gone a couple of years without seeing him, and I'd like to continue that streak. You know, Carl Anderson has legitimate business ties there, so mm-hmm. I, I really think that that's where they would make the best use of them, and they would most want to go. But he loves those kids, Kara. He loves the kids. Hot Asian wife, I know. <laughs> Uh, and last thing before we get into the being the elite breakdown, Michael Nakazawa had his farewell show with DDT today. Does anybody, did anybody watch? Well, no, you can't have watched it, right? Or no, they, they're live. No, somewhere. yeah, you can. It might have been live, but there, it was at least uh, on demand on the DDT universe gimmick. Well, what do you know um, about it, Nate? Yeah, well, they had uh, his like graduation farewell show, uh, which they announced after it was revealed that he signed with AEW. Um, and they. Had, I think, some big tag match, uh, and Nakazawa got the pin on Takagi, who's the president of the promotion. Uh, and then they did like a whole, you know, final graduation, and the president gave him flowers and wished him good luck and all this stuff. And then they were doing a, I think, a 10 bell salute as though he were dead. Um, and then Kenny Omega's old DDT music started playing in the middle of it. So everyone was sort of perplexed and looking around and like, oh, what's going on here? So there was a video message from Kenny 
Kenny basically said, hi, you know, I haven't seen you guys in DDT here for a while. Um, I've done something really terrible. I've taken Michael Nakazawa from you guys. But, you know, in AEW, we always remember where we came from. We always remember family, etc. So he revealed that after this whole big to-do about Michael Nakazawa, uh, he said that Michael can still continue to, you know, wrestle in DDT all that he wants, um, which, you know, the crowd popped for. And then Kenny said, and who knows, you know, maybe I'll show up sometime in the future too. Crowd popped for that also. Uh, and then they cut back to the cut back to the show. And Michael Nakazawa was like celebrating and the president was pissed off because he was so nice to him. Uh, and, and, you know, he's actually not leaving at all. So and then he gave him a Stone Cold Stunner. Mm, great bet. Yeah, it was cute. You know, Should've it's EDT. It. <laughs> it's like it's like cute. Yeah. All right. I like it. All right. Well, I'm sorry that you just talked a lot. Car, do you have something else to talk about Michael Nakazawa? I think it's interesting that they they just really strongly hinted, which in the wrestling world means pretty much confirmed that Kenny is going back to DDT, at least for some sort of appearance. So sure. that's that that's the notable. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and it's going to, you know, be a lot of fodder for Twitter arguments. Like, if Kenny is on big DDT shows, how DDT starts to draw? Because, like, he was like, I don't know, was he like the Japanese MVP in the Observer or something? It's like, okay, well, now we're going to, you know, move you from the biggest promotion and oldest promotion in the country to, you know, this glorified comedy indie and see if you can sustain all that, you know, superstardom. Hey, maybe he'll show up in uh, in New York. Yeah, it'd be fun. I think it's interesting now that they have we were just like this giant like spider web of wrestling now. And I know Cara mentioned it a little bit earlier that like you and this kind of really just kind of popped in my head. Just like they don't have any relationship now with with New Japan other than like the nominal one, but basically everywhere else. But like all japan out of like the big money promotions like no it doesn't doesn't really evolve there but it's just it's just wild to me in a lot of ways how now we have these two axes working with it and having michael nakazawa i guess as their talent liaison is something that i would not have thought would have happened five years ago or ten years ago it's just wild to me yeah um my conspiracy theory about the whole thing is that they're definitely is a fully existing DDT AEW alliance and uh, both DDT's WrestleMania weekend shows as well as uh, AAA's mysterious uh, hold on Madison Square Garden for last year are all AEW related in some way. So I agree with you that, you know, but I, I think Kenny and, you know, President Takagi have probably, you know, had some pretty serious concrete discussions about, uh, you know, working with DDT and AEW, but we also know that DDT talent is all over the Evolve and WWE shows. And I think the scuttlebutt is that the WWE got all those visas for the talent that are working the WWE venue. So it's like doubly bizarre because, you know, we've got all this interplay with AEW and DDT. And then DDT is going to be in the, the US in a couple weeks here working a bunch of, you know, WWE, which is effectively WWE minor leagues. Well, I mean, you had Zack Sabre Jr. basically use WWE for a visa three years ago and his side, oh, I'm just going to go work for Gabe before Gabe was really super affiliated. So I don't know. It matters how much like Cyber Agent really was involved in this. I mean, it matters how much money they want to throw around. But it, it's all weird and wild. And it's interesting to me at the same time that over like the last few weeks or really like last month and a half, they haven't done as much stuff with Pac and his relationship because he'll be in because uh, he will be in new york and he's not booked for a lot of stuff and it makes me wonder like is he going to sh if kenny shows up somewhere or like i know the bucks say that they're not and cody say they're not there i haven't seen much from hangman like if hangman shows up anywhere like are we going to suddenly see Pac face off so it's going to be a weird weekend in a couple of weeks yeah, I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about Mania Weekend next week as uh, Nate and Mike and I are all going to New York. We will be missing Cara, thinking of her while we're there, but we'll probably talk about what we're going to do uh, next week. All that said, it's time for the Being the Elite recap from Nate. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, so Being the Elite. So this is, I was just going to make Cara do this. 
Um, okay, <laughs> so you got the ringside footage from AAA. Uh, and like I said uh, previously, it was like kind of fascinating because you have this up close footage so you can hear what the wrestlers are hearing and like the Bucks are doing all their majorly over offense and uh, they're just getting no reaction for it. Um, so, you know, it did it, the match like kind of picked up as the Lucha Brothers got into peril. Um, but, you know, later on this episode, they like put backing music over the match, probably to hide the lack of reactions. So, hey, I, you know, better to do that than not, probably. Uh, so they cut to the Bucks in the parking lot of LAX. They're making their plan to pick the perfect spot to have a match with the Lucha Brothers. Uh, and then Matt is sitting at the gate at the airport. He's now fully obsessed with Michael Nakazawa. He's typed Michael Nakazawa into his phone a million times, uh, which is always a fun bit. Uh, Brandon Cutler is there. He says, uh, tells him, Matt, we're boarding. But Matt mishears it as Michael Nakazawa, we're boarding. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm like looking forward to this going somewhere just because it's definitely going to be super weird with Michael Nakazawa involved. Like, I don't, you know, we're going to get Matt in like a Charlie Day meme where he's got Michael Nakazawa pictures hung up all over his house or something. I don't know. I just hope it's not a Matt versus Michael Nakazawa match, singles match. I think they could both do that very well. Oh, wow. Cara. Bearing. It would probably all be comedy. It would probably be, you know, they'd have some funny ideas in there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm serious. I think that Matt could wrestle a great singles comedy match. Okay, I'll just fuck off. Thanks. <laughs> like, as as someone who, <laughs> like, favorite New Japan Cup matches so far are, like, Yano and Kabana and, like, uh, the Taichi match, uh, absolutely, I would love to see a Michael Nakazawa Matt Jackson match, unequivocally. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to the bath. Uh, all right, so then we got uh, Joe Alonso goes up to SCU in the locker room at a show. Uh, this is the green-haired kid that was also on Sammy Guevara's vlog when he came to AEW a couple weeks ago, um, uh, which I and I had gone to this show. It was the Warrior Wrestling Show here in the Chicago area, and I just happened to see Joe Alonso sitting there. So I was like, oh, okay. So it was funny for him to turn up here because I was not familiar with him otherwise, but I gather he's a wrestler. Um so he's he goes up to SEU and he's trying to you know introduce himself to them and be the respectful young guy and see if they have any advice for his matches. Uh, and SEU shuts him down and says they don't have any time to watch any of his matches. They bury him um, and then he you know walks off. We pan across the locker room to Noel Foley who tells SEU that they've changed. So we're advancing that all this AEW money has changed SEU. I did not see Noel Foley when I was at the show, but I did see Frank the Clown, who was a surprisingly entertaining heel manager. Uh, so then we got Papa Buck. He is the latest person to save Joey Ryan from a backstage assault by indie guys. And Papa Buck Adrian asks Joey, hey, where's that blonde tag team partner of yours? So, I mean, they couldn't, couldn't be stepping on this uh, idea any more explicitly that... He's got some tag blonde tag team partner that he needs to save him. So if it's not Candace, then there must be some other blonde. I don't know. Papa Buck was rather violent towards him, like with how he was like shaking <laughs> him down. I noticed. I was like, "All right, there's some real anger in a man of Christ," and that surprised me. Well, have you heard those violent riffs, my man? Oh. <sighs> <laughs> uh, Papa Buck also using the phrase "my boys" uh, really taps into how in clearly into the internet zeitgeist everyone is because like that's the new like post McElroy's term that you call everyone my boys yeah he's talking he's talking about where are my boys while he's <laughs> okay <laughs> uh what's next we got another voicemail segment this time it's chris jericho he leaves a voicemail for each of the jackson brothers and they cut between them to you know show that there's uh parallel voicemails here and basically that he's manipulating them uh, and trying to suggest that each one of them is the star and they should each go single separately. Um, so he's, you know, saying, you know, you don't have any further. You can go as a team. You've already been named the tag team of the year for five straight years. You know, you can only advance now if you go single. This is similar to what Cody was doing when Cody was doing his heel turn on the bullet club slash elite. Um, and it was not presented as well here as they, Chris Jericho voicemail promo was on that last week's Road to Double or Nothing, just because it's you know slightly more clumsily edited. You don't have the the clear sound coming through, but uh, that's where we're going with that story. Yeah, that bugged me, and I'm not. I know you're not surprised to hear me say that, but 
they should have just left the phone flat and recorded it that way. I know that they always have a bit with them using phones that aren't phones, but that bugged me on it. It was actually really hard for me to hear a lot of what Chris Jericho was saying during this segment. I didn't like that. And then we go to Cody and the Bucks. Uh, I believe this is them in Mexico. And they get an email that appears to be from Tony Khan. Um, they see the email. They think it's dumb. They say they can't get this gimmick over. And the camera turns around them. They turn to the camera in like a super savvy salesman mode all of a sudden. And they've done a seamless transition to pitch an open casting call for this gimmick that Tony pitched them. It was the librarian. Uh, somebody who's educated and has a cart of books. And then they uh, solicited video auditions for 60 seconds or less for someone to be the librarian. And now people have been making these. Uh, this reminded me of, I'm going to put my own tweet over because I thought it was funny two years ago. Um, there was that old rumor that Vince only hired Duke the Dumpster Dreesy because he wanted to prove that he could get the lowest guy on the PW, PWI 500 over. So this is them calling their shot and saying, hey, you know, our show, our web show and promotion is so over. We can even get something stupid like the librarian gimmick over. I'm just glad you mispronounced Drosy so that I'm not the only one who mispronounced a name on this episode. That's fine. Not my era. Never seen him. Do I do want to dig more into the replies to your tweet, which are hilarious. Uh, friend of the show, Jose Maya tweets. Uh, in response to your, like, who's the worst talent the Bucks could get over through inclusion in BTE? And Jose Maya said, Brandon Thurston is in the PWI 500, and I'm sure they could do a half Rovert, half wrestler gimmick and still have him be over. Hey, Brandon Thurston is over with me. I just like the idea of a half Rovert, half wrestler gimmick. Friend of the show, Rovert. Uh, yes. Also enjoyed uh, Oat uh, Twitter personality at Oatgen's mention of Zombie King as a potential person from the PWI 500. Just with a blue question mark there, yeah. And then the uh, obvious uh, highlight of the replies, uh, everything elites own, Kara responds, Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I guess about that tweet, Cody is actually good. <laughs> Got a seven faves on that though, pretty good. Nice, good number. Yeah, no, I, I think I said at the time I only did it for the faves. Uh, I was live at Cody and Okada from the uh, first uh, Long Beach New Japan show, and that was one of the best matches I've ever seen. Cody is actually good. Yeah, I think Cody's at his best when he's doing the uh, big overbooked heel stuff that he obviously loves to do so much. You know, he doesn't maybe he doesn't always do that perfectly, but <laughs> like I saw him versus Flip Gordon in like the Hammerstein, and he was doing that, and it was hugely entertaining. And that was, you know, Hember's flip. So yeah, that was the librarian gimmick. Tweet your auditions to the Twitter account and they'll retweet you. And I don't know what will come from that. Something, I guess. All right, back to Mexico. They are now doing the backstage view of when Cody went out and Conan sicked his goons on him. Uh, so they are retconning here why the Bucks didn't go out and save Cody. And it's because they were looking at their phones. Um so that's like a cute thing they do on this show also is like when you have pro wrestling logic that doesn't actually make any sense, they like make, you know, just a little bit of an effort to actually give you a reason for it. And like just making the effort, showing that they thought of it, like just goes so far. I am so insulted that in all of the Elite Extended Universe content this week, they cut the beat down before Psycho Clown, came, Psycho Clown came out because the pop there was insane and they could have easily looped that crowd noise into something else if they really wanted to boost things. But I need my Psycho Clown. I need the flamethrower hands. I need the most over person to his promotion like Psycho Clown. I was sad I didn't get to see him this week. Like for yeah, does... They have to bring him in. They have to bring him in. It, it does feel a little intentional, like maybe it was a, a, a pointed edit at us to not include Psycho Clown here in the show at all. Ooh. I don't know, because we're obviously big Psycho Clown fans. And we haven't had any POC lately, so I feel like this is a conspiracy against me. It could also be that they have a, they have a secret agreement with New Japan, and so they can't be going around showing footage of all Japan's Kento Miyahara. <laughs> <laughs> Good callback. 
Okay. Uh, Sammy Guevara, he's dropping in on SCU. This is again at that Warrior Wrestling show. And SCU likes him. They're right. They're, he's nice to people, uh, but people hate him anyway. Uh, Sammy Guevara versus the newly signed or the newly deceased DJZ was uh, the best match at the Warrior Wrestling show, by the way. All right. Um, yeah. Sad to see him go. Uh, but he'd known Scorpio Sky changed his mind. He does not like Sammy Guevara because he's not from SoCal. They only like SoCal. That's the gimmick. And a kind of cute, funny thing was Kaz forgot who he was as soon as he walked out of the room and asked, was that MJF? All right, then we get the Adam Page uh, full gear workout compilation with him working out. Lots of cut-ins of everybody taunting him. This was cute, and I liked it just because it was like really old-school wrestling workout montages, like the stuff you would, I, I guess, see in the 80s. I wasn't watching in the 80s, but you know, it seems like it's sort of 80s throwback kind of thing here. And the cut to uh, Pox abs at the very end. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone else notice that I this might just be me kind of extrapolating things and I tend to do this. They had that scene of uh, Paige at DDP yoga. And then during road to double or nothing, the part with Sandra and Allie was filmed at a place that looked a lot like it. Do we think that maybe their offices are in the same building or a part of the DDP yoga facility? Or am I just being completely just broken brained here? Well, we've seen that office from Road to Double or Nothing before. They've like they've done definitely done a handful of segments there. Um, I just did not jump out at me. I don't know, but I would presume that studio is in Georgia, right? The DDP Yoga one. As a practitioner of DDP Yoga, I do know that their studio is in Georgia. And yeah, it does, does not surprise me that they have some sort of at least like a handshake or like at least like just a friendly agreement with DDP himself to kind of get all that stuff done. And uh, I've moved on to shoot yoga, by the way. Wasn't, wasn't DDP part of Nightmare Family or did I make that up? Yeah, he was with Cody at All In, yeah. Yeah. He had, he had the cool tracksuit. Cara, is this the first time you've made it known publicly that you do DDP yoga? I said that I did. Um, I, I <laughs> very rarely do it now. I, I enjoy other yoga practice. Okay. It's better. Just wondering. Thanks. <laughs> it's a starter. It's a gateway yoga. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's they show the ship play footage again, this time with the backing track. Um, I did ask Cubs fan because uh, Oatgan pointed out that pile drivers are like supposed to be illegal in Mexico. Um, the at least the tombstone variation of the pile driver, which is called the Martinet. Uh, and Cubs fan clarified for me the tombstone is the form of the pile driver that is called a DQ in Lucha Libre. Uh, but that is pretty much only when they need it to be a big deal for angles, and otherwise, it's like something like the announcers will bring up on commentary, but it's not necessarily illegal. It seemed like it got a little bit of a reaction just when he put him in the tombstone. Just like holding them there, I thought I heard the crowd pick yeah. up a little. I think it's like it's like when somebody goes to do the Styles Clash in uh, in Japan because they've sure. gotten over the idea that it's like actually dangerous. I think. Yep. All right, then we've got Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian are at some show in England. They're debating if they should introduce themselves to MJF because yes, they all work at the same company now, but on the other hand, it's MJF and he's obviously an asshole. Uh, he comes over and just immediately buries them. He calls Kip a micro penis and Zach Efron. Uh, and tells Jimmy Havoc that it's not cool to identify as the high school emo kid when you're over 50 years old. That was kind of funny to me. Uh, now, this is sort of intercutting now. And then we have Cody back in Mexico. He's selling the attack from the AAA show. Uh, he's moving around his hotel and he's in pain. Uh, and he goes into the bathroom and starts to Q-tip his ear. Uh, and then we cut back to MJF. He says to Jimmy Havoc that if you hit me with a chair, he's going to tell Cody. Um, and he says something like, you know, Cody, what a mark. He's probably plotting how to put the belt on himself right now. And we cut back to Cody in Mexico. He has finally unclogged his ear and his super hearing abilities have returned. This is a old bit from BTE. You've probably seen the GIF and the parody GIFs because uh, they get people super mad. So it's funny to post the GIF. Um, but we get the long zooming shot uh, going up to Cody Rhodes' ear. He hears all the way from a continent over what MJF has said about him, uh, and he's mad now at MJF. 
Uh, then we finally get the outro. They have a new outro. It's like animated and better uh, and more professional. And that was a good upgrade. All right. That's BT. Any other thoughts uh, from the panel on this week's BTE? No. Great. Okay. <laughs> I hate the new outro. It's not better. I disagree. Ooh. It's at least more professional, right? Like they're, they're not doing the suckets anymore. Like the suckets are kind of, you know, two gimmicks ago now. Yeah. That's, that's true. It is like gimmick updated, but that, that animation quality, I would not say is more professional. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, it's not, uh, certainly not, you know, anything to write home about, but just the, you know, the voice quality is better and it just seems a little bit more like a professional YouTube kind of thing. Well, I thought the audio quality was bad on it. I felt like it was out of mix. The this is where I do the air and all right, I'll just go fuck myself up. <laughs> <laughs> well, join me, Nate. Okay, well, I guess that's it. Uh, thanks uh, everyone for listening. Make sure you are subscribing to the show and getting these episodes at the bizarre hours that uh, Mike puts them out for us. Uh, making sure that we get in when other people aren't posting their episodes on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, but make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can get me at Aaron like the car, Mike at Fuji Heya, Nate at Epitasis, and our guest, Kara, our first guest. You can get her at Kara Anza. So make the sure you're doing girl. that. What's that? The wrong girl. The wrong girl. The wrongest girl. Was it the wrongest or was it just the first wrong girl? I mean, I just did that just now. I just oh. did that. Uh, also, Fi's on the podcast. Say hello, Fi. No. Hey, Fi. Hey, uh, she, she literally shut up as soon as I tried to get I her. I thought Fi. I heard a squeal, maybe. Fine, is my cat. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. For Mike, for Nate, for Kara. I'm Aaron. See you next time. <laughs>